You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. We are wrapping up our series through this book of Ephesians. It was this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a series of churches in this major city in Ephesus. And we've been looking at this uh, glimpse of the picture of the multi- multicultural church that we're given. Because one of the hallmarks of the church in Ephesus was it was a church for all peoples. And it was outstanding to see how the gospel, the good news of Jesus, impacted not just individuals, but it made a church. And it made a church that was representative and living out reconciliation. And for us at the village, that's one of our vision as well. So we've had, I, well, I don't I won't speak for anyone else. I've had a great time looking through the implications of sometimes what faith that can seem so individualistic that no, it's actually spoken to a community. So we're wrapping up today and we're going to start a new series. But um, as we look in this final uh, passage in Ephesians 6, it reminds me of, there's that well-known book that some of you might have uh, looked in C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters. Uh, If you haven't read it, I would encourage you to get into a really great work that's out there. And in the intro, um, he talks about this kind of inclination in the general public to either choose to ignore forces of evil altogether, kind of like pretend that they don't exist. And maybe when we think about things like the devil or Satan, it's kind of like almost like uh, fairy tales for kids. And like we think of horns and like red costumes and stuff. Um, and, And maybe kind of downplay spiritual activity or at least minimize that, you know, not to want to look like a fool or kind of like a weird Christian and if anything does happen, well, that's just human nature. That's just, that's just part of being human. Or uh, I've noticed, and, and Lewis writes about this on the other end, there can be those who maybe take too much of an unhealthy interest in, in that everything's demonic. And maybe you've even, uh, maybe you are that person, but maybe you've encountered that where it's like, there's no problem at all talking about spiritual warfare. In fact, everything is spiritual warfare. It's, it's like trying to see that the devil is in every single thing that's going wrong. And, and I would suggest maybe kind of ignoring the truth of God's presence. You know, like almost elevating the work of Satan to a point where we kind of forget that God's actually in control and rules everything. And, and just on a pastoral side, I've noticed that some of the possible shortcomings of that kind of posture towards spiritual warfare is that we can lose accountability, like personal accountability to our sin, almost lose responsibility for our actions, kind of like a, well, the devil made me do it. And like kind of be able to say anything that goes wrong sinfully, well, it's not me, it's, it's, it's spiritual warfare, it's the enemy. And I don't know if that's appropriate when we look at the totality of the scriptures of the Lord. All to say, today we're wrapping up, and some of you, you, if you've seen the book of Ephesians before, you know this, the last section talks about spiritual warfare. And however you might, and I know our church, we represent a lot of different kind of folk and views, however you might fall on your views of warfare, I think the one common thing is today's passage, it shows us that as hard as life can be, and I know some of you are going through, right? As difficult as this journey can be, many of us have not like seriously considered that our struggles might be part of the larger battle being waged. It's not just that life is hard, but we are actually part of a fight, a battle. 
So let me read from Ephesians 6. If you have your Bible, you can follow along. We're reading from the CSB version, chapter 6, starting verse 10. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace." In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this, I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. Let's, let's pray for one as we ask the Lord to lead us in this time. Lord, I, I would be remiss if I didn't just acknowledge right now, even as, re, as we read this, forgive us that we can so often do so many things, even in your name, and not acknowledge that there are spiritual component involved. So Lord, as we go into your scriptures, as we, as we unpack this, as we seek you and to know more about you and our enemy, we, we desperately ask for your leading, Holy Spirit. The things that might prevent us from hearing your words. Maybe it's not just that we're tired or grumpy or hangry or had a bad day, but maybe we would recognize there are things that are actively trying to prevent us from connecting with you. We pray for your strength in the midst of that. Guide us right now so that we might know you more. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, uh, you know, at, at least as I read that, maybe you felt this as well. One thing I realized, it, it, it's a surprise to many people, I think, that there is a struggle at all. Maybe especially if we're new to this whole Christian thing. The fact that, you, you know, we talk about things like that. This almost feels like kind of like fantasy land or like Harry Potter. Kind of like, wow, that's kind of weird stuff. You know, where's the stuff about caring for the poor and like practice how you do marriage? Maybe I, that was really practical. This is kind of otherworldly. It's a little strange. But, but what I would put out there is for the Christian, it's so critical to recognize that we are in a fight. You got to know we are in a fight. And our main adversary is not another person. And, and, you know, because sometimes if you're not careful, if you get sucked into like a cultural war type of view of the world, you could be bamboozled into thinking that your main enemy is someone on another side of a political aisle or someone of another ideology, someone who differs in how you respond to a pandemic. Like those are your enemies. They hate you. You don't like them. That's my enemy. I need to come back to them. And you might have disagreements, but we cannot lose sight of the fact that even if that's true, we have actually a greater enemy. We have a far larger adversary and his name is Satan. There is a devil. 
And some of you are like, oh man, this dude's crazy. He's talking like the stuff is real. Well, we're going by what the scriptures tell us, along with very practical implications. We've looked at recently. This is also one of the very real things that we have to take to heart. We need to see who our enemy really is. Because sometimes there is a caricature of the battle between good and evil, you know, between light and darkness. And almost if we do, if we do believe that there's a devil, that there's a God, it's almost like we think that there's this like epic, like tug of war going on. And you got God on one side, he got all his angels. And then you got Satan on the other end of the rope and he got all of his little minions and they pulling back and forth. And depending on the era of history, oh, sometimes Satan got it all the way. Oh no, God's got this Oh, reformation. Here come that rope. And you know, like almost like it's like a real battle between these things, like it's even to see who's going to win ultimately. But we have to recognize as we see here that that's not accurate. That's not a picture of our fight. Our fight is not so we can try to survive and try to win. Uh, Verse 10 tells us to be strong in the Lord. And it's a reminder for me in my lack of faith sometimes that God is far stronger than sometimes I give him credit for. God is far mightier than I actually seem to reflect in my life because it's assuring us there is already a victor here. Yeah, there's a fight, but someone's already won. God wins. And that's something to celebrate. That's something to live in faith and confidence and trusting him because he's already won. But, but the point is, that doesn't mean that spiritual warfare doesn't exist. Uh, there's a, a verse, it's not on, the, on your slides, but in 1 Peter 5, 8, that says, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. It's describing the nature of our adversary, Satan. He is a lion, but he's a lion on a leash. There is a certain component of how much power and authority he has. That God and the forces of evil, they're not on some like equal plane here. They are not like equal and they're really trying hard. You've got to pray more so God can win. God's already won. Satan was created by God, but he fell, including those who rebelled against the Lord. He is not on the equal plane with God. Victory has been assured all throughout history, culminating on the cross and the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. So we have won, but doesn't mean that there's not a fight. That spiritual warfare is not true. Verse 11 calls it, describes it as the schemes of the devil. And I think that really gives a good, appropriate picture of of the devil's ways. Scheming, kind of slimy, kind of underhanded, not always so obvious, plotting. In verse 12, it describes what that battle looks like then. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. And as I was reflecting and reading that verse in particular, I, you know, I was pausing and thinking about our church here at the village. I love our church. But part of the way I love our church is always asking, what are some of the things that we're really trusting on? What are some things, though, that are areas for growth And my impression, my opinion, even in being part of our church, I think our church, one of our strengths is we tend to be really grounded in a good way. Like the way I think about that is if like someone just walked in off the street and just mingled amongst our people, 
Hopefully they wouldn't think, oh, these are a bunch of weirdos. They're like about to do some compound stuff and like they're going to start selling all their clothes because they're talking about a UFO coming to pick them up. Like, I, I don't think our, our, our congregation is like so otherworldly that we can't connect with our neighbors on a real basis. And I think that's a real good thing. Like, I think that's a gift and we need to press into that even more. But I think that can also be a potential challenge when it comes to the things of God because we can be so grounded, so of this world that we forget that there are also spiritual factors going on like verse 12 describes. That not everything can just be explained away with research or data or evidence. There are some things going on, some things that are really messing with your life that you cannot pinpoint on and say, oh, this is the reason why some of it is spiritual in nature. Not every fight with your spouse is just because you guys can't agree on how you put a twist tie back on your bread. I mean, that's, that's real though, right? That's real. You need, maybe you need counseling for that. Go do whatever you need to do. But sometimes there is an adversary who'll do whatever he can to harm us, cause dissension, and he schemes. Here's the thing, though. Verse 12 tells us you're not always going to see that because there is activity going on, but it might be in realms that you're not fully aware of. Um, I, 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 I saw this one quote. I thought it was so appropriate by Philip Yancey. He's an author. He wrote, a society that denies the supernatural usually ends up elevating the natural to supernatural status. I was like, wow, there's a reason he writes books. That's really good. For our church, I just want to encourage you, be careful not that we're not so grounded that we start to lose sight of what's really supernatural and, and what's going on around us. I don't want you to be naive to some of the forces that are at work in our lives. But, but it's crucial then, having said that, to read the passage today in light of what's come previously in Ephesians. All that we've studied, and this is one of the values of going through a whole book of a scripture like that. And you, you see it not just like individually, but in the larger context, because we have to recognize all that we've studied in Ephesians, all the wonderful works of Jesus, what he's done to make us new, to bring us together, to change our life, to reconcile us to him, to, to give us access to the throne, all of these wonderful things. That doesn't change who we are in Christ, the beautiful nature of the good news of Jesus. It does not change no matter what the enemy does. And this is one of the hallmarks of the faith, that if we could lose our faith, we would have probably all lost it already. But this is the confidence we have in Jesus and his work. We can stand on that. But our enemy's work then is to continually attack so that we wouldn't believe that. That we wouldn't believe what we would hold to as truth. That we wouldn't live in faith in light of the amazing things Jesus has done. Because Satan hates the good news of Jesus. He hates reconciliation. Some of the things that we have put our heart behind in our church, Satan absolutely despises the nature of reconciliation where those who are enemies, those who culturally, socially, historically, ethnically, in every facet were separated. The fact that Jesus brings us and makes one new man as described in the Ephesians, Satan despises that. 
Some of his greatest work throughout this world's history has been throwing discord and dissension and everything that would divide us. That's his MO and he's been really good at it. Satan, Satan hates reconciliation. Every time we say our vision statement that we want to be a church that leads people into reconciliation with God, reconciliation with one another, it's like boom, boom. It's like a body blow to Satan. Despises it. And he will do whatever possible to destroy that work. Keep in mind, Satan cannot kill the church. Um, I, I see some people, and I think their heart's really good, but you'll, you'll see things like on social media, for instance, oh, this could really kill the church. I'm like, oh no, that's already been set. <laughs> There's not, it, it, Christ has already won. I mean, we, we don't have it up in here, but Matthew 16, one of, it, one of Jesus' most famous teachings, he, he said things like, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overpower it. It's that we're not the ones who are, Jesus has already won. And it's, he's saying the gates of hell will not be able to stand against it. He's already won. So Satan has lost, but what our adversary can and will do is try to make you question God's victory that's displayed through the new people that God is building, through his church. And as we think about spiritual warfare then, again, maybe some of you, you're really attuned to that. Usually I've noticed we think of spiritual warfare very individualistically. Like in my life, what spiritual warfare look like? And I think that's appropriate and true. But again, look at this in light of the larger book of Ephesians. There's purposeful reason why this is coming at the end of the letter here. After all these instructions, after all the solid teaching of what Jesus has done, all the reconciliation that's been brought, the new beauty of this people called the church, all of these things. And then Paul is capping it off at the end now to say, now be on guard because we have an adversary and he will do whatever possible to try to destroy this thing to try to break into the beautiful, glorious picture of the work of Christ that reconciles enemies to make them into family. So spiritual warfare, it's individual, but it's also a corporate attack. And we see here the way that our enemy attacks. Verse 16, it, it describes, in every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. In other translations, I, I like the way they describe flaming arrows as flaming darts. I kind of like that image of darts. Because the caricature, sometimes when we think of a satanic attack, maybe you watch a lot of movies like me, like The Exorcist, or people love like demonic activity movie, right? They're a little demented, but people love those things. But it's like usually really scary, like people's face turn different color and heads spinning around and blah, 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 like crazy stuff, right? And maybe some of you experience stuff like that, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt it if you have. I've, I've seen stuff like that. But I would also probably suggest, I don't think that's the normative experience for most of us. But it doesn't mean that you're not experiencing spiritual warfare and spiritual attack because it might be a little more subtle, like a dart. Like a dart. Um, and we might try to explain it away or distract away or medicate away. But I want us to be aware of some of those fiery darts that our enemy might use. And, the, and just keep in mind, these are not like from this passage, but just as we think about larger spiritual warfare, a few darts that I've thought of that the enemy might purposely use in the context of a church. 
One dart is pride, the dart of pride. James 4 gives instruction that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And we see the importance of humility all throughout scripture. But I think this pride might be one of the most clever darts of our adversary because in our culture, pride doesn't really seem all that bad. I mean, honestly, it seems, and and I want to be careful when we use the word pride, that can have a lot of connotations. I think there's a good healthy sense of knowing who you are and confidence in those things. But we're talking about a pride in a sense that distances you from community. Because the various devious nature of pride is that in the end, we really don't need anyone else, even God. That's what pride is. Pride is ultimately, I'm the arbiter of truth and reality, decision-making. I don't need anyone else to tell me anything because I've got this. Pride, it causes good Christian leaders. And I've seen this. I probably experienced it myself. To, to fall to games of gauging our success based on what they feel and built rather than acknowledging God as the builder. Pride is saying, yeah, I, I built this. I did this. Pride, it it causes people to fall into things like affairs because in their mind, they're like, I would never commit that kind of sin. I I can't believe people do that. And being not self-aware and to realize every single one of us has capacity to do different things in the right or maybe wrong mix of factors. Pride, it can make us work harder at looking like we're holy than actually pursuing holiness and knowing God. I mean, that's like Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5. Go read it on your own if you need just like a jolt to your... To your it's like scary that in the, in the hope of wanting to look really respected and holy, these people did some horrendous things to... It was Pride. Pride and, and be, hear everything I'm saying today, it can't explain everything fully. So just if, if anything's really confusing, talk to me afterwards. But pride, it can turn, I think, what's needed sometimes in churches like rebuke or correction. I'm not talking from abusive way, but just godly rebuke or correction as part of training. Pride can turn that into a personal offense or a means of conflict rather than maybe God giving us people that want to help us to grow and mature. Pride is, who, who the heck are you to tell me anything? That, that can often be pride, pride. I'm not saying that pride doesn't affect it. I mean, pr- leaders can have pride too. So hear, hear this in big picture. But pride, if we're not careful, it can make us unteachable because ultimately we think we know better than anyone else, Right? And we live in a wonderful age right now where there are so many resources available to us, but be careful that it doesn't allow pride to grow to say, well, no one can tell me anything. What's authority? Government, uh, family, church? I mean, who can tell? Let's be careful that pride doesn't allow us to pull away from others in a community because ultimately pride can be at the root of what causes us to stop worshiping God and stop walking with others as a reconciling church. Because if life is centered around us and our needs alone, it can be hard to recognize even the needs of others because we become like the North Star and everything is around us. 
You know, I work with different churches aside from our own. And one question often from some churches that they, and with the real genuine heart is, hey, we want to grow to be a multi-ethnic church. We would love to have, be a church of all communities and representing different cultures. And you know, a lot of times, some of it is just, well, it probably won't happen just because you don't have things. But sometimes there are factors at play. You dig deep enough with people who are part of a church, even if they genuinely want that, Ultimately, a lot of what that needs to be is you've got to die to some things of the way you've always done it. And that sometimes is a deal breaker for a lot of people in churches. They're like, yeah, we want different people in here, but that's too different. That kind of music, that's not worshipful. Oh, that's not prayer. Oh, we don't eat that kind of food in church. Like, from very serious things to even maybe a little bit more surfacey, but all of that is ultimately we are not doing things the way that I am not used to because church has become about us and our preferences. And I would suggest that can be fruit of pride. And we have to be careful that the enemy, he's not going to like be overt about it, but these subtle darts, fiery darts to feed into the sense of, man, yeah, you don't need those people. You, you better than that. Let me ask you, um, what, kind, what makes that kind of posture in your own heart? Maybe some of you, you don't struggle with it, but I know I do. This sense of pride. And, and can I ask you, be mindful how the enemy will throw those kind of darts that can inflame that within you. So one dart is pride. Another dart, I think, that I've noticed is unforgiveness. The dart of unforgiveness. And and I think this is one of Satan's most effective schemes in trying to destroy the people of a multicultural church. Especially in our day and age here. Because when we fail to forgive, it gives Satan an advantage because we're holding on to anger and, and hurt to destructive ends. You know, when we are unforgiving, you know, our thoughts can become centered on this sense of I've been offended or I've been hurt. Someone's infringed on my rights. And I think Satan has, has really trapped people almost in this continual state of defeat and I, I think an accompanying loss of joy. That, that we almost like don't see God's blessings because there's this unforgiving attitude towards someone in our past. And maybe sometimes we suppress those feelings so we think we're over it, but it's still actually there. It's kind of like that fire that you then really douse like the camp ranger told you to. And if someone throws something on it, it'll come up again. Like it's still there. But maybe you can ask yourself how many times that as you really genuinely feel like you've been growing to follow Christ, that some person from your past comes into your mind. Maybe a former fam- or family member or a former employee, worker, boss, someone who betrayed your confidence or someone who took advantage of you. Maybe even really harmful things uh, related to abuse. Maybe for some of us, and I, I really hope this is not a story for too many, but I mean, I think it, it bears the reality of what we've seen. Maybe it even involves churches or leaders who are part of hurt in your life. And I think that's just real. And we've got to be honest to acknowledge that. 
maybe for some of us, I wouldn't be surprised if it's not even just things in the past, but it's like present issues of forgiveness, even within this church here. Like things have happened, and we say this all the time, the church is full of broken people, but I don't think we've really been honest with the implication that when we say broken, that's just not like a holy moly spiritual term. People are really broken because you're broken, I'm broken, and when you bring all your brokenness into a place and you actually share it with one another, you are going to see a lot of messy stuff and really hurtful things. And one of the most effective ways that Satan works is to fix our gaze on our hurts that we've experienced from one another in the community. Maybe even here at the village. And I think unforgiveness, it can be such a dart from our enemy because I think if we're not careful, it can reinforce this kind of cultural move towards trying to find a problem uh, or find something to blame or someone to blame for every problem that we have in our lives. And that's not to absolve responsibility for others, but that every issue, every relational problem, it's all because someone's done something to us. I want to be, if you tuned off right now, you're probably really mad. It's okay, but you stay. I want to be crystal clear in this. This is not minimizing genuine trauma that some of us might have experienced, especially in church or in relationships. I am not... This is not meant to, well, you know, just get over it. Just forgive and forget. Um, Because I think sometimes church leaders can can be maybe not fully aware of the hurtful ways that can be done. Just to, well, the Bible calls us to forgive. You don't want to hold on to unforgiveness. It's not good. So forgiveness, I think it's not an overnight thing. Some of you have been really hurt and it's probably not going to happen with just one prayer saying, oh God, forgive me for that. I don't want to hold on to that. It might take a lot of work, especially if there has been abusive situations in your past. I would actually say we need to be that much more real to talk about it. That if anything, the gospel, it gives us freedom to call evil, evil. If you have had evil done to you, You don't have to explain it away. You don't have to try to make excuses. You could actually say, yo, that was really jacked up. That was horrible. You have shown me the fallenness of humankind through your actions and words and experiences with me. I have been really, really hurt and damaged. We can actually say that really honestly. We don't have to sugarcoat it. And it will probably, again, healing will probably not happen overnight. Uh, I'm going to say it might even have to involve confronting someone to let them know how they've harmed you. Like having to actually let people know you have sinned against me, even if you don't think it is. And and it can get messy. And I, I absolutely get why some of us feel like it's easier to just move on. But here's, here's what I'm saying. We need wisdom to recognize if we've allowed the enemy to use our unforgiveness as a dart to remove us from community. Because I think sometimes, whether it's happening in the present or from the past, that heart of unforgiveness, if we're not careful, that's what's keeping us from being part of God's reconciled church. Because if it's the people there or if it's someone in the past that's coming to mind, we use that as a means to say, I'm not fully in this. And again, take that in light of all that I've said, that we're not excusing things that need to be taken into account. 
but what can you own? Because the gospel, it also reminds us that as real as the wrong that's done, been done to us, each one of us has also fallen short in sin before God. Because we don't forgive other people because it's the right thing to do or because it, if it's, it just makes us feel better. It's, it's, it's actually unnatural. Someone hurts me, I want to hurt them back. That, that, that's my flesh. But ultimately, we forgive because the Christian is astounded, amazed that as those who are enemies of God, we have been forgiven through the amazing work of Jesus Christ. That's, that's why and how we forgive other people. As Jesus himself said on the cross of his enemies, Father, forgive them for they, not know, they know not what they do. So just, I, w- I want to pause for one moment, um, wherever you are, and just, can you ask yourself just for a moment, are you harboring unforgiveness? Whether in the present or maybe something from the past, and hear me clearly, I'm not saying, well, just get over it. No, I'm saying that might actually take some work here. That might take some work with the Lord and with maybe some professionals even. But can, can I ask you to pause for a moment and in quietness, Is there someone that's coming into mind for you? Maybe that's the spirit prompting you for a relationship that you need to bring to the Lord. And you can't control what another person does. But at least for yourself, let's just take a quiet moment to sit on that. What's coming to mind for you? I would ask you, bring that to God and not in a spiritually flowery language thing, but like real work in the dirt. Because sometimes we minimize the impact that the enemy can do in our lives through what we're holding on to that God wants to free us from. So dart of unforgiveness. One more, I think that might be appropriate. Dart of isolation. Isolation. Uh, In 1624, a prominent Anglican priest, John Donne, he wrote, No man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. And just a beautifully eloquent reminder that we are not meant to just be for ourselves, but to be part of this larger community. And how much more for the people of God that's been reconciled together. I want to be clear here. Sometimes we can hear these words and think that, yo, this pastor, he a big extrovert, so he like coming at introverts right now. That's, this is not a word against introverts. This is not opposition to, I think, very needed uh, times of private solitude with God. Some of us probably need a little bit more of that. Those are essential. Um, I think more about isolation, what I mean is this, uh, if it's hiding, if, it, if it's like in our, what we're going through, kind of keeping us away both from God as well as from his people, like that kind of unhealthy isolation, like what Proverbs 18.1 describes, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. It's just this reminder that in God's ways, we're not meant to be just for ourselves. This is not meant to be a hunger games where you kind of figure it out and you're in battle actually with everyone else. And it's not, you're actually meant to be part of a community, a team. Because Satan, again, does not want congregation. Satan does not want community. He wants you to be isolated because you are easier to pick off when you are alone. Just reality. 
You need to be others with the, for the sake of your own growth, just for people to know you. And we've talked about that ad nauseum in other sermons. Not going to go fully into that, but you're not going to see things about yourself apart from other people. Other people are not just to make your life happier. They will actually show you areas of growth that are needed. But you also need others so you can live out some aspects of what it means to follow Christ. Like generosity. That, that always comes to my mind. One of the reasons we need community, it's hard to be generous if it's just you. You need other people so that you can have people that you can share your gifts, your times, and your resources with. Because we're created again to be reconciled into this new family. Be rescued and saved from the island of self. Because the enemy will do everything he can to isolate you from others in the church. And a lot of that will not be very dramatic, but it'll be whispers into your mind. Just a practical thought on that then. I want to ask you, as you're growing in maturity, I think one aspect that has to be in the age that we live in, you've got to be wise and discerning about what voices you allow to influence you. Because there is just so much out there. And just because there's big platform or big exposure, a big name does not necessarily mean it's helpful for you. You, you just need discernment. Um, I, I mean, I, we take social media, for example, and again, you guys know me, I'm on social media a good amount, but it requires discernment. It requires wisdom because the reality is you are going to find some really helpful voices. You're also going to find some helpful voices. I'm, I'm Hear me clearly before I get spammed here and email. I'm not saying people are of the devil. <laughs> they might be very genuinely natured in what they're doing, but by their words, you have to ask, is this isolating me from God and his people? Just ask yourself those kind of questions. Is this, how, is this actually, this advice, is, does it draw me closer to the Lord? And that, closer to the Lord doesn't always mean happier. Sometimes there's real wrestling and deconstructing things and, and asking how do I reconstruct this in a healthy way? That's good, but you need wise people to walk alongside of you as you do that. That's another dart I know I've experienced, isolation. I mean, I, I, I do ministry, so you might think it's weird. I know I'm not doing well when I just don't want to be around anyone. I don't. God, I don't want people to see me in my pain or my struggle. I prefer to be by myself, but God continually reminds me one aspect of reconciliation is you are meant for others and others are also meant for you. So we have some of these different darts, and, and this is, again, this is not a list from this passage, so we could think of a whole bunch of others, but whatever it might be, and if, especially if you feel like you can identify with any of these, hear, hear this clearly. It's not abnormal if you are experiencing some of these struggles. If you get discouraged, especially if you feel like you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, but why am I experiencing some of these, th these things? I would say, you actually probably doing what you are supposed to be doing because that's how Satan works. That's, how, that's maybe an indication you're actually on the right path because you are getting darts just thrown at you from all over the place of all different manner. Because our enemy, he fight, but he fight dirty. He fight in ways that might not even seem to maybe make sense. Church, don't be so grounded in reality that you miss the spiritual reality of our fight. We have to recognize what's going on around us because we have hope. In the midst of this battle, we're given armor, starting in verse 13. And the idea of armor, much of it is defensive, knowing these darts are coming, knowing this attack's coming. What are the things that we're meant to, that we're given that's saying, oh, you, you don't just got to take this. Here's ways that you can fight. 
Because our victory is not in how well we fight. It's found in the one who's already won the fight and trusting in him. And here's what we've been. Verse 14, we have this belt of truth that quenches all the lies of Satan. It's like Jesus, when he was tempted, what did he do? He just went to the truth found in scripture. Verse 14, in God, we have this breastplate, breastplate of righteousness. It's a reminder when we talk about righteousness in the scriptures, righteousness is not just being good. It's about a relationship. It's who you know. It's, it's 2 Corinthians 5, 21 that says, Christ became sin, though he knew none himself, and he makes us righteous. Righteousness is a relationship. So have that as your plate, guarding your heart. Verse 15 talks about our shoes, our sandals for our feet to stand firm on the gospel of peace that in Christ, this amazing news that broken humankind that has been constantly at war, whether overtly or in our heart, we can now have peace with God that though we were once his enemies, now through Christ, we've been given a way to become at peace, friends, family with God and also with one another. And just like what Christy was praying earlier, what a hope for a city like ours that sometimes seems so devoid of peace that we actually have the peace afforded in Christ, not just for us, but to share with others. Verse 16, we have this shield of faith when we put on God's. And some of you, you think, what does shield look? It's a, it's a Roman shield. Like think like Captain America style, right? This large shield enough to cover the whole body. Like that when dipped in water before a battle, when those flaming arrows come and they hit you, it just puts it out. That's the kind of shield of faith that we're talking about. That God is the one who gives us faith to quench Satan's darts. That faith, again, it's not how faithful you and I are. It's already how faithful God is. And that he will guard you. Verse 17, that only in God do we have this helmet of salvation, which is our security. This is, I come to this regularly because I worry a lot about people. It's just not in always a healthy way. And I always look at when even you guys are struggling. Oh man, are they going to be okay? Are they going to make it? But God has been teaching me the truth about your security. It's not how much you're going to love them, Dan. It's not how much you're going to take care of them. I got them. If they are mine, I'm going to bring them home, even if it's limping. That's security. Because our enemy will create doubts and speculation that discount the truth of God's word and threaten even the security of his saving love for us. God can't really love you. Look how you screwed this whole thing up. You are terrible. All serving and leading in the church and people don't even know what's going on in the hiding places of your hearts. And God says, yeah, I know all that. I'm for her. He's mine. I got him and we're going home together. In verse 17, we have our offensive weapon that God is feeding our mind with his word, this sword of the spirit when we are in him, that he leads us to claim his promises as found in scripture and know the truth of God as we dig in to the very revealed word of God, these precious scriptures. So knowing all this then, we can pray from a position of power with the authority of God. It's verse 18, which I love. Pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request. 
and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. And guys, this is a particular kind of prayer. It's an intercessory prayer. It's praying for the people of the church. There is power in praying actively for one another. So I'm going to give you some homework this week, and you see it on the screen there. We're calling it a 618 prayer. As we're uh, reminded by Ephesians 6.18 of praying for one another, I'm going to encourage you every day this week, every day this week, and you can, right now, you can pull out your phone, set your alarm if you want, but at 6.18, I'm going to invite you, pray this week for the church, and you can choose a.m., p.m., whatever worked for you, night owls or you morning cats, whatever works for you, you said it would do both, Right? Pray specifically for our church at 6 to 18 every day this week. But I want to ask you to pray specifically in this way. Pray for our purpose as a church. Because spiritual warfare, one thing that it does, it blinds us from why we are here. It distracts us. And I'm not all about, well, let's just focus on the important things and, and like ignoring real stuff. I'm not saying that. But we can't lose sight of why we are here. Because if we're not careful... The church can really easily become just a really nice-looking social club for like-minded people. If we're not careful, I think that's default mode of what church becomes. And I'm not saying good stuff doesn't happen. Or we can be the lighthouse of God. In a dark, chaotic, stormy world, the church is called to be this beacon of light pointing to the rescuer, Jesus Christ, who gave his very life to put us into right relationship with God and with one another. That's the church, guys. That's the church described all throughout Ephesians. That's the church I want the village church to be. And you each have a really vital role to play in that. Not to just be a spectator, not to just receive good stuff, to be part of shining that light in our dark world. Let's fight, guys. Let's fight. So I'm going to ask our music team to come up here and lead us in a few songs. But as they do that, wherever you are at right now, can I ask you to bow your head with me? Maybe just start right now. I know it's not 618, but can I ask you to right now pray for yourself? That's fine. For your family, that's good. But can I pray, ask you to pray specifically for this church that we would not lose sight of all that we've looked at in Ephesians, all the wonders of reconciliation, this beautiful multicultural picture, it's not just for us. It's for God's glory, but the display to our world, to our city that's so desperate for hope. Here is who God is. Here is what he has done. And here's what he invites us into to be part of the story. As his church, can you pray for the village to live that out, even if we're limping, even when it's hard, even when we got darts coming at us from all angles that we know who strengthens us? in the spirit of the Lord, that if God is for us, who can stand against us? Heavenly Father, help us. We cry out to you. Lord, forgive us that even as we are firmly feet on the ground, we're thankful for that, Lord. Sometimes we diminish the spiritual reality of what we're part of. May we not be naive, Lord. May we have eyes wide open, head on a swivel, knowing the fight that we're in, but knowing that you have not called us to just fight harder so we can win. It's already won. And we just want to get behind our general. And Lord, as we talk about fighting, it's not a pugilistic, angry sense. We're looking for people to fight, but it's fighting on our knees, serving, 
humbly, gentle, kind, revolutionary in a society that's all about vitriol and going after people's heads and canceling them of Lord knowing the one who has made us family and wanting to invite others to be part of that family and that it can be done in Christ. So help your church, Lord. We need your presence, Lord, to strengthen us and keep our eyes on what's true, what's real, to know the armor we've been given. So thank you for this church, Lord. As we sing right now, may we know the strength even in singing these songs with our faintest breath as we claim who you are, Lord. Help us, God.